Our first reading is from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading is from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The sword of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And let us pray. Holy Spirit, guide our study and our discussion that we may more boldly trust in you. Amen. All right, so this week, as I mentioned, we're continuing our study of Ken Callahan's 12 Keys to an Effective Church, and those two keys we're focusing on today are significant relational groupings and generous giving. And so we're going to follow mostly the same process this week that we took last week, with me using the sermon time to introduce each text and then posing a discussion question to you. Uh, Except today, as I said earlier, I'm going to try and talk less so that you all can talk more. So let's get started. Our first reading is from Acts chapter 2, and it's the text that we're going to use to study the key significant relational groupings. So let me fill you in on where we are. So Acts 2 begins on that first uh, Pentecost, that first Pentecost day after Jesus had been raised. And it tells the story of the Holy Spirit filling the disciples and sending them out into the crowded streets of Jerusalem, where people from all over the Roman Empire and beyond understood what the disciples were saying in their own languages. Eventually, Peter stands up and uh, he preaches this sermon to the crowd that has gathered, and he explains what God has done in Jesus Christ, and we're told that that day about 3,000 people believe and are baptized. So our reading today is a description of the first few days and weeks and perhaps months of this new group of believers, these new Christians, although they weren't called Christians yet. Our text today gives us a snapshot of what those first days and weeks looked like for this new community, and the picture that it gives us is almost unbelievably peaceful, isn't it? There is tremendous energy here, tremendous unity here among these early believers. 
Nobody is, is uh, claiming to have exclusive rights over their property. Rather, they are selling what they have and they are giving it to any who are in need. Day by day, hour by hour, they are together. They are praying in the temple. They're breaking bread in their homes. They're worshiping God as a new community. And this energy and this unity, as you can imagine, it proves to be attractive even to unbelievers, for we're told that they have the goodwill of all the people and that daily God was adding to their number those who were being saved, those who were coming to believe. Now, of course, I probably don't have to tell you that things aren't going to stay this peaceful. Uh, first off, the goodwill of the people, that will fade, and persecution will come, and these followers of Jesus will be forced to scatter beyond Jerusalem. And second, as the message spreads and more and, my, and more diverse people uh, receive the gospel and believe, there begin to be some disputes within uh, this church about how best to welcome these new believers and what sorts of laws, if any, should be binding on them. But all that's later. Right now, these believers are in something of a honeymoon period. They're, they're like a newly married couple. They're still so high on the emotions of love that they haven't yet started noticing the way that the other leaves their clothes all over the floor or insists on the wrong brand of peanut butter or snores just often enough to be annoying. You, none of you can relate to that, I'm sure. Well, even though these honeymoon periods don't last, even though we know sooner or later we do start to get on each other's nerves, there is something wonderful in the fact that God blesses these new gatherings, whether they're marriages or congregations, with these feelings of excitement and warmth, getting us started on the right track. So, with that in mind, I'm going to invite you now to turn to one or two of your neighbors and discuss this question together. The question is this. If you were a member of this early church, how would you describe it to one of your friends? So go and turn to one or two of your neighbors, uh, so groups of two or three, and uh, we'll take a few minutes to discuss that amongst ourselves. All right, let's go ahead and bring it back together. So uh, what sorts of words uh, were used to describe? And just shout it out, and I'll repeat it into the mic so we all can hear. Uh, what sorts of words uh, were used? Fellowship. Fellowship. Loving. Loving, welcoming. Sharing, sharing caring, accepting. Open. Open. Fear. Fear. Yeah, fear or awe came upon them. Yeah, good. Enthusiastic. Nurturing, and what was this? The place to be. It's the place to be. Yeah. Ooh, what was it? Cultish. Oh. What else? Awesome and cautious. Clickish. Yeah. You said fearful? Fearful. Yeah, fearful. Forgiving. Supportive. What was that? Praying. Praying, good. All sorts of words, good. That was a, a rich discussion you had. All right, 
without further ado, we're going to go to part two. So you just hold on to that, and uh, we're going to start into part two. So part two is our next text, and I'm going to introduce this one to you and then give you a few minutes to discuss it. So our second reading is Matthew chapter 6, or it's from Matthew chapter 6, and it's right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and this is what we're going to use to think about generous giving. So this is a very famous passage. Uh, It's really a very simple passage if you think about it. There's a promise here, and the promise can be summed up as this. God will provide what you need. Very simple, right? That's an easy promise. Of course, understanding a promise and trusting a promise are two very different things. And that's why Jesus, uh, perhaps a little surprisingly, he uses this example of Gentiles in this passage. I feel like we maybe skip over that when we read it. I actually did when I was reading it for the children because I didn't want to get into it. Uh, but uh, you notice this, uh, this, this reference to Gentiles. These are the things the Gentiles strive after, Jesus says. So that word Gentiles, that literally just means the nations. That's, that's all it means. And originally, this is a word that is used to describe those who are part of a nation that isn't the nation of Israel. So anyone who's not a part of the nation of Israel are part of the Gentiles, the nations. And it's not meant to be an insult, or maybe it could be, but not usually. Um, it's not as though those Gentiles are worse than Israel inherently, more immoral or more selfish or something along those lines but it refers to their relationship to God. Because while God is a God of every nation, it was only Israel who was God's chosen nation. It was only Israel who was given the gift and the responsibility of the covenant. It was Israel who was blessed by God in order to be a blessing for all of the other nations. So now from our perspective, now that Christ has come, and has established the new covenant with all peoples, Gentiles in this context, I think, it means those who have not yet received God's new covenant in Jesus Christ. Or in other words, Gentiles are those who do not trust in God's promise. So when Jesus says not to worry, he's saying don't live your life like those who don't trust in God to provide. Don't trouble yourself, Jesus says, about your bodily needs because your Father in heaven has promised to give you more than enough. To the extent that you trust in this promise, to the extent that you are moved by faith, your life will look different. You will be both more generous and more at ease, because you know that your good future comes not from your money or your property or your good planning, but from God. So that in mind, I'm going to turn to, have you turn to each other one more time, and this is the question you're going to discuss. How does a church that trusts God to provide look different from one that doesn't? So go ahead and turn and discuss. You can think about it for a minute if you need to, but go ahead and turn and discuss that question with one another. All right, let's go ahead and start bringing it back together. So what were a couple things, I'll just try and hear a few uh, that came up in your discussions. What are some differences that it makes? And I'll just go ahead and uh, repeat it back into the mic to, so everybody can hear. That'll be my, my plan here. What were some things that came up? Uh, there, Sue, you said you think you're happier. Yeah. yeah, so trusting in this makes you happier. Yeah. Good. Have faith. Having faith, yeah. 
Yeah, so there's a, there's a tightness, we could say, that comes from if you don't trust that God is providing, if you think that you're dying, you start to hold on to everything really tightly, don't you? And that just accelerates it. That just makes everything worse. But yeah, good. Ah, so when you trust in, in God's promise, you're looking outward rather than kind of turning inward. Good. Dave? Ah, so if you don't trust, you are fearful and you lack courage. It's scary to do anything because it could be you just don't have any assurance that anything's going to go well. Yeah, right. Good. Yeah, one more, Lois. Yeah. If, if you're confident in God, you grow and you share rather than lack of confidence, you, I don't know, shrivel kind of maybe. We could use the word there. Good. Good. Thank you. Good, good uh, reflection, it sounds like. Oh, I said one more, but you're going to just keep going, huh? <laughs> yeah, I should have, I guess. All right, Anne, one more. <laughs> more focused. Ah. Yeah, more focused on the kingdom of God. We could say more focused on mission, I think. I think I could use that word, yeah. More focused on the kingdom of God, yeah, rather than on providing for yourself. Or you are, you know, as a as a as a group, or as a person. I guess this is true for both. Yeah, yeah. More giving, more giving. All right, that's actually our last one, probably. <laughs> you know, once I turn you all loose, you just keep on going. Uh, so. Uh, I'm going to close us in prayer, and as soon as I'm done with that, uh, the choir was going to come up and uh, close us with singing. I don't know, open us with singing, whatever they're going to do, uh, but we're going to do that. But let, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much uh, for all the ways that you are providing for us. We thank you for the things that we are aware of, and we thank you especially for those many ways you provide for us with us never even noticing. Help us to attend to you and to your kingdom and to your righteousness, to your call on us. Keep us open. Keep us relaxed and happy. Keep us generous. We ask for this and everything else you see that we need in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.